0: Is there a requirement to be barefooted? Yeah, it's no. hippies these are there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe there was going to be people
1: <laughs> so... So uh, hi everyone, um, like Clark said, my name is David, I'm pastor of Victoria Christian Reformed Church, and I'm super grateful for the opportunity to gather up my thoughts and try to organize them into a lecture. Uh, try is the operative word there Um, more of a preacher by trade Uh, so I feel a little out of my element but uh, I have done one other Labrie lecture back on Bowen Island and I think it went well uh, they invited me back so that's good Um, so I've been on sabbatical all summer uh, which has been really really nice In addition to spending a lot of time with my kids, uh, doing some good resting, some good exercise, um, I've been doing a lot of reading. And the topic that I chose to study while on sabbatical is uh, a big topic, the religious landscape in Canada. And I left it um, broad, and I thought once I started reading, I might get curious in certain areas and dive deeper. But I kept it pretty broad, I think. And ordinarily, I'm not drawn to sociology, uh, really. Uh, and I'm certainly not drawn to charts or statistics. <laughs> Usually, when I get to that part of you know the textbook, I'm just like whatever, you know. Like I don't have time for that. Um, but uh, but a few years ago, uh, my or a few for a few years now, my curiosity in this area has been uh, growing. And it started when I was talking to a church planner in town, a church planner in Victoria. And he told me that less than 5% of Victorians are worshipping in church on a given Sunday morning. And that number, uh, he said, includes the non-evangelical crowd as well. So the Catholics, uh, the mainline denominations, etc. So 5%, and he said less, it's closer to 4% of uh, Victorians are worshipping in church on a given Sunday morning. And that stat hit me really hard, and it changed the way I looked at a few things. Um, For one, if this stat was true, I I knew that I could no longer lob careless critiques at other Christian traditions in my teaching and preaching. Um, Us Reformed Christians have a habit, a bad habit, Mm -hmm. of defining ourselves in opposition to the Catholics on one side, and the Pentecostals and the Baptists on the other side, right? We've found this beautiful, perfect balance, right?
2: Um,
1: and so I wouldn't do that very often, but on occasion I would drop into that pattern. And But what that statistic told me is that when I critique other Christians and Christian traditions, I'm critiquing less than 5% of the inhabitants of Victoria, and the absurdity of that became instantly clear to me. And I just thought, what good is it to define yourself in relation to a, like a, maybe a mere 5% of, of the city? Uh, clearly there are bigger battles that need to be engaged here. And the other thing that this st- statistic did to me is that it helped me see uh, that I'm a missionary. Um, my, childhood, my childhood church used to send missionaries to Africa, China, other places than Canada, right? And... Um, because they hadn't heard the message about Jesus yet. Uh, and when I came to Victoria from southern Ontario, I didn't think I was you know, going to a foreign land or, or a place that needed missionaries. But now I'm starting to discover that perhaps uh, that's actually part of my calling, is to, uh, and part of how I need to see myself as, as a missionary here. So I've been trying to own and live into my missionary identity over the last couple of years and I thought what do missionaries do right well the first thing they do is they study the language of the people and the context in which they've been called to serve and the second thing they do is they read sociology books right (laughs) Mm -hmm. so that they can get a feel for where they are and maybe then what needs to happen before I bore you with some statistics, uh, I won't have too many, but Just hopefully just the relevant ones. Uh, let me start with um, a few stories that I hope can help us get a feel for where we are. Earlier this summer, my family and I took a trip to Harrison Hot Springs. Uh, some of our friends are living there for the summer. And we went on a walk one morning on a local trail called the Spirit Trail. The Spirit Trail is a two-kilometer loop through, you know, pristine Pacific Northwest style woods. The trail is called the Spirit Trail because one day in 2007, a local artist had a chance encounter with another contemplative hiker. The other hiker said that the woods felt haunted and that it felt like each of the trees had their own personality. So the artist went back to his studio and began to make faces out of clay. Then on his walks through the woods, he matched match these faces to trees. So all through the spirit trail, you see faces faces hanging from trees. Uh, this is an example, and click to the next slide. Here's another example. Keep going. Another example. One more. Another example, and keep it there for a second. Um, Actually, you can go to the next slide as well. And I found these words on the sign at the trailhead. These masks enhance the trail's already present spiritual feel. Look for a circle of trees with masks to find the ideal spot for quiet contemplation. Mm
3: -hmm. A few days after
1: uh, we got home from Harrison Hot Springs, I was listening to the CBC, as I often do. Uh, the radio host was interviewing Amos Clifford, a man who has written uh, a book about uh, forest therapy. Forest therapy, or forest bathing, it's sometimes called, is a health and wellness practice uh, practice that began in Japan. Uh, perhaps not surprisingly, it's made its way to British Columbia. Amos Clifford is the local guru. Uh, he leads bathing hikes, uh, forest bathing hikes through Stanley Park in Vancouver, and he wrote a little book called, Your Guide to Forest Bathing, Experience the Healing Power of Nature. Next slide. That's what it looks like, the title. Mm -hmm. Um, You know the best thing to do, you know the best time to go forest bathing, right? 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. (laughs) 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 Clifford believes that the seeds of the forest bathing movement were planted by the forest itself. Um... Next slide. Somehow the earth, this is from his book, somehow the earth is dreaming this work into being, spreading it like the seeds of a dandelion. Many of these seeds are taking root. What is its purpose in calling us back into the forests? Clifford's answer to that question is that the forest is calling us into a a reciprocal relationship of a mutual awakening so that we can experience our oneness live in peace together, and be healed. The other day, I was talking to a fellow parent at our neighborhood park. Next slide. She asked me what I do. I told her that I am a pastor. She told me that she grew up Anglican, but that her parents left the church when their, uh, their parent's good friend uh, was the priest. someone, I guess he was moved to a different, different church. She was 13 when that happened, and she hasn't really been back to church since then. Uh, Her husband has never been to church at all, and doesn't see the need for it. Uh, She doesn't really desire to go back to church either, but now she has a two-year-old son, and isn't quite comfortable raising that child without any connection to religion. She's not sure what to do. I asked her what she does for work. And she says that she practices acupuncture. Acupuncture, of course, grew out of traditional Chinese medicine. And by putting tiny needles into our body's pores, acupuncturists seek to restore balance into the body. I don't know everything about acupuncture. That's that's what I learned on Wikipedia. Um, Another one of my park acquaintances makes sure that her kids go to vacation Bible school every summer. She grew up going to Sunday school herself. Uh, and her family hopped from church to church to church until at a certain point uh, they gave it up. Um, she really wants her children to be exposed to religion, however, and she said with very concerned look on her face that she's really worried about the future because many parents she knows aren't exposing their, their kids to uh, any kind of religion at all. Um, but she believes deeply, deeply, that her job as a parent is simply to expose her children to different religions, but does not raise them in a specific tradition so that when they get to be teenagers or adults, they can make that decision on their own. And uh, that, by the way, is uh, very Canadian, I'm discovering. Very Canadian. Uh, i read a lot of this sociologist named Joel Thiessen, and what she does is very, very, very widespread. We do not like forcing anything onto someone else, even if that's parents to children. And then finally, last story, while well, working on this presentation at Starbucks, I live near Gateway Village, so I go to the Gateway Village Starbucks a lot, That um, they have music playing at Starbucks all the time, and this song plays nearly every morning, and I'm mostly thankful it does. I really, really like it. But I think it can help us get a feel for where we are, too. Next slide. So we'll listen to part. If you feel like singing along, go for it.
4: <laughs> I was raised up believing I was so Distinct among snowflakes unique in each way you can see and now after some thinking I'd say I'd rather be a functioning cog in some great machinery serving something beyond me
1: Goes on for a little bit longer. The song ends with him uh, hoping, wishing that he can find an orchard that he can work on. He says, "If I find, if I, if I worked on an orchard, I'd work till I was sore." Um, I don't really know everything that's going on in that song, but I know he's kind of disillusioned with. Uh, or he's, he's a little bit lost in his identity, right? I was raised up believing that I'm a snowflake, right? Distinct. But now I'd rather be some functioning cog in some great machinery serving something beyond me. Um, and then there's that nature piece. Uh, if there's one thing I know is that the world outside is so inconceivable often I can barely speak. Um He's searching for his orchard, right, his orchard. So the Fleet Foxes wrote that song, and it's called Helplessness Blues, uh, and they're from Seattle, a very Pacific Northwest place, just like where we live, spiritually speaking. Uh, so it's clear to me, and this is all just one summer, and I'm sure like we passed, you know, had some time. You guys could all share the interesting experiences you've had with people as you talk through spiritual things Um, but it's clear that we live in interesting times I think, spiritually speaking Uh, philosopher Charles Taylor says that we live in an age that is caught in the crossfire of various pressures we feel caught between the drive towards immanentization towards the idea that material is all there is that meaning exists only in our heads and that our living is not constrained or directed by any transcendent being we're caught between a force that is pushing us that direction, uh, but then on the other side, there's this echo of transcendence that pushes in on us as well, that, that persistent sense that there's more to us and this world than the material. We feel like we should be over the gods and other se- silly spiritual things, but we have a hard time getting comfortable living in the world without them. They're just trees, we say, but wait, the forest feels haunted. Next slide. And some of the trees might be, oh, one more, <laughs> winking at us. <laughs> <laughs> Saying, Haha, I'm still here. Can't just say that I'm just wood. Um, when people ask author Julian Barnes if he believes in God, he says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. This is a good example of the cross-pressured experience of our present Fragilization is another term that Taylor uses to describe our experience of the present. As we rub our shoulders with normal people who think and believe differently than us, that tends to fragilize our own way of viewing the world. Um, your doctor could be a Buddhist, your neighbor a practicing Hindu, and guess what? The more you get to know, know them, the more that you, you discover they're, they're just normal people like you, trying, trying to make sense of life and do the best that they can. So, next slide. Oh, Canada, right? our home and native land, mm. are you starting to get a feel for where we are? right? A feel for where we are. Enough stories uh, for now. Maybe we can tell a few later. I'll jump into the sti- statistical side of things. Uh, I won't give you tons of statistics today, just the ones that seem rele- relevant to me as I was doing my reading. Maybe one more story first. Um, My grandma um, was born in Canada a long time ago, and she's been a pretty much, well, a long-time member of the United Church of Canada. Uh, And she always told me that Canada is a Christian country. Uh, And before 1970, actually, that was a fairly accurate picture of the Canadian landscape. Prior to the 60s, nearly all of Quebec was, was Catholic. And nearly all of Ontario was Protestant, and, you know, people only really lived in Quebec and Ontario. um, We're where the vast majority of people live. Um, Our centennial celebration in 1967 was almost like a church service, really. Hymns were sung, prayers were prayed. A priest, a reverend, and a rabbi all participated.
2: Uh,
1: Next slide. So this is some, I actually just took this picture with my phone <laughs> of a book and made it into a slide. I hope that's legal. Um, but this comes from uh, Reginald Bibby's book, Resilient Gods. He's a sociologist that uh, is big into statistics.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so here you see kind of the lay of the land up until 1961. And look, just look over at 1961. 47% identify as Catholic, 49 identify as Protestant, and then one is Eastern Orthodox. Eastern Orthodox and then two of other faiths. And that was pretty much just Jewish, I think, at the time. And then uh, just greater than one, I think that's what that means, was uh, no religion. Um, So this is a really stable, like this, this was stable for a long time, you can see way back in 1871, not much has changed in that area. But things changed during the 60s, right? As Canada was celebrating its centennial birthday, Canadians were quietly exiting through the narthex. <laughs> Membership in the Anglican Church of Canada peaked in 1964. It's been in steady decline ever since. Membership in the United Church of Canada peaked in 1965, and it's been in steady decline ever since. And those are the big, the big Protestant denominations at, at first. And in Quebec, church attendance vaporized, one journalist said. In the mid-sixties. About ninety percent of Quebecers used to attend mass. Amazing. On a fairly regular basis. That number dropped to forty percent in one year. Wow. It was the most Canadian of revolutions. A silent one. <laughs> People just politely stopped attending church. In 2011, many Canadians still identified, self-identified as Christian. Sixty percent sixty-seven percent of Canadians checked the Christian box. On the census form, so it's clear that many in Canada still identify with Christianity, but weekly worship attendance and active affiliation and other um, ways of calculating how people are practicing, right, uh, show a different kind of trend. Here's uh, here's a, here's next slide, Brittany. So in 1945, 60 percent of Canadians worshipped weekly. In 2000. of Canadians were worshipping weekly so there's a big drop off there what happened Um, it's very complex Um, and actually I read a very interesting few paragraphs about uh, the role that um, both parents working in the workforce has had on church attendance but also a lot of other social functions in society as well that was very interesting to me but sociologist Reginald Bilby, uh, he, he lays out the key ingredients, and I think he's, he's probably right. Next slide, Brett. Demographically, what led to the decline of religious participation in Canada, it's fairly straightforward. The Great Religious Recession took place largely because mainline Protestant groups no longer had the luxury of gushing immigration pipelines. To make matters worse, their birth rates were down, and their policies and strategies for retaining their children's religious part- participation were not always well developed and well executed. Um, keep going. Their third and last numer- numerical lifeline, recruiting outsiders, was not really a viable solution, given the low priority that many assigned to evangelism. So, no more babies, no more immigrants, or less babies, I should say, uh, fewer immigrants, bad faith formation, faith formation uh, practices in, in the church, and uh, take it or leave it approach. To evangelism. Uh, There's more to the story of course than that, but these are some of the key ingredients to that story. So where are we today? Um, Well there are different ways to categorize this, uh, the Canadian landscape, but when Canadians are asked whether whether they embrace religion, reject religion, or are somewhere in between, so they're not quite sure, they're neither embrace or reject, This is how things pans out. Next slide, Britt. About 30% of Canadians say they embrace religion. And in this group, this 30%, that's where we get about 23% of Canadians are what we call active affiliates or regularly participating in the life of a religious community. And that's not just Christian, by the way. That's any kind of religious community. Uh, So currently about, yeah, 23%... of of Canadians are actively participating. Um, about 26% of Canadians say that they reject religion. So in 1970, only about 4% of Canadians checked the none of the above. So there's, on the census form, they ask, what religion are you? And the last one is none of the above. So in 1970, only about 4% of Canadians checked the none of the above. In 2011, that jumped up to 26%. And then about 44% of Canadians are somewhere in the middle. So, actually, almost half, right? They neither embrace religion nor reject it. Uh, Joel Thiessen, sociologist, refers to these people as marginal affiliates. They attend religious services infrequently, maybe once or twice a year, the Easter or Christmas crowd... Uh, many of them want and get their kids baptized because it feels like the right thing to do, and maybe their grandmother is saying, "Hey, you gotta get your kids baptized," <laughs> stuff like that. Um, but uh, but they're not actively engaged in church life or worship life. Of note here is that the population of those, who, um, okay, um, yeah, something to note here is that the population of those who embrace religion. Uh, and the active affiliates group that actually really hasn't declined much since about the 2000s so this this group here it's actually kind of leveled off it's not on a as steep of a decline as it was from like 1965 to 2000 Um, so something's happening there that we might want to pay attention to but meanwhile the population of religious nuns not uh not Catholic nuns, but people who check none of the above. Uh, that is the, uh, it is growing quite quickly. Um, that is the fastest growing religious group, you might say, in Canada. And here's a breakdown of how things look on the national level, where, where the nuns live. Um, surprisingly, Quebec actually has not too many. I think, I think a lot of Quebec is somewhere in the middle. That's my, that's my <laughs> best guess. They're like, neither embrace nor reject. Trying to figure that out. As usual. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Got some people shooting back here, here. and it's fairly low yeah, so. in Atlantic provinces as well, and it kind of increases as you go west to ding, BC, where it's the highest, um, the highest amount of people check no religious affiliation. Why people in BC? Uh, there are different theories are thrown a- around. Uh, some people say that uh, people moved to BC to get away from their family. and and traditions and start something new so they say they left their religion at the Rockies Um, it's one way there's certainly less religious socialization in BC Um, so less people are exposing their children to religion and that actually happened earlier Um, and a lot of people are like that woman I met at the park I kind of want them to know something but I don't want to I don't want to be too hard about it just introduce and see what happens um (coughs) And then here's a diagram. Since we're mostly interested in BC around here, here's a diagram that further breaks down religious identity in BC. So it's 44% no religious affiliation, 14% uh, a non-Christian religious identification, and then 42%. So still quite high is Christian identification. And then there you have Roman Catholic at 11, Eastern Orthodox three, other Christian three, and then you have Anglican, United Church, and then. I don't know, that's probably evangelical, I'm guessing, evangelical crowd. Um, so that's how things break down. Now this is self, this is what people say about themselves. So a lot of people, of course, say, oh yeah, I'm a I'm a Catholic, right? Like, I, I went to, I got baptized and confirmed in the Catholic Church. Or, you know, I'm, I don't really participate in my United Church anymore, but I still consider myself part of the United Church of Canada. Um, so it's, This isn't how people practice, this is just how people identify. Um, But, I found this interesting, even though 44% of British Columbians don't have a religious affiliation, 74% of British Columbians consider themselves to be very moderately or slightly spiritual. And of the 40% of British Columbians who get out into nature at least once a week, 50% of them consider it a spiritual activity. Um, so now we can see why forest bathing is such a mm-hmm. growing thing here in BC. But interestingly, only 13% of BCers participate in religious, religious services on a weekly basis, and an additional 4% participate on a monthly basis. So add that up, 13 plus 4, what's that, 17? 17% of British Columbians are in church at least once a month, um, and 13% of those are just without weekly. So, I've, you know, uh, there's more British Columbians having spiritual experiences in nature uh, than church. Of course, those groups could be combined a little bit. Because I actually have lots of spiritual experiences in nature. And I also go to church once a week, right? So I could be part of both of those crowds. Or I am part of both of those crowds. Uh, whoop, goodbye. Okay. One sociologist named Joel Thiessen, who I've mentioned before, uh, I think he's really someone to watch in this area. Um, he is really interested in the rise of the, the non-population in Canada. So Joel and this other woman named Sarah, Sarah Wilkinson Laflame, I got most of these statistics from her. Uh, they're working on a book together. Uh, she is the uh, quantitative person and he is the qualitative so he gets out there and does all the interviews and she crunches the numbers and they are quite the pair it's awesome to see what they're up to so joel's findings are interesting and challenge some some of reginald bibby's conclusions so you have these two sociologists of religion in canada that are now starting to get into some arguments together um but they yeah they're just some friendly arguments Um, Bibby believes that the hunger for religion in Canada is strong. And he has a number of reasons for believing this. Uh, Statistically, Canadians still desire what religion provides. Meaning, purpose, an understanding of the afterlife, activities for kids like he sees. And he sees that 50% of people, or that 44% who are so-so about religion. And he thinks, huge opportunity for the church. He's a Christian. And he says, if the church can provide the right supply, we will find that the demand for religion is there. So he uses supply and demand. Mm -hmm. And saying, the the, the demand is out there. The problem is that the church hasn't risen to the occasion to provide the appropriate demand, or the appropriate supply. Mm -hmm. But Joel, through his qualitative research, so his interviews, has come to a different conclusion. conclusion. His conclusion is that the demand is just not there. Many Canadians say that they have a desire to be more involved in a religious community and want the kinds of things that religion can provide, but few actually do anything about it. It might be kind of like saying, I really want to get in shape, but, uh, you know, it's really hard. And So, if, like, you wouldn't... If you had as many gyms as people who wanted to be in shape, right? Like, you'd say, the demand is there. It's like, well, not really. They say they want it, but... Yeah. So Joel has teased this out in his interviews. He asks follow-up questions and he tries to get right to the bottom of it and when he gets right to the bottom of it, actually most people are like, eh, not really interested, actually. And he thinks that churches should not expect an influx of new attenders on Sunday morning if we were to change the supply. So if you build it, they probably won't come. Um, yeah,
5: just... Yeah. Yeah let's stay within sort of like a Sunday uh, Sunday morning kind of paradigm yeah so uh, you're not saying let's not uh, have church on Tuesday evenings it's more convenient for people I mean like I'm just trying to sush out your right
1: so I think Bibby would say like yeah if if all of a sudden you had a whole bunch of like if that you were discerning that go Mm -hmm. for it I think Joel Thiessen would say the same thing Mm -hmm. Uh, Bibby would be more optimistic about them coming Mm -hmm. Joel would be saying in my my interviews, people who say they want it actually, I push I push them down a little bit deeper, and they're not going to come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's m- negative, pessimistic, optimistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll I'll let us, when we're, we're almost on the statistical side of things, and I'll ask some. You guys can have some questions because I think I've I've put out a lot so far. So Joel believes that Canada is firmly on a secularization trajectory. He sees this happening at the institutional level, as we've seen with the recent Supreme Court decision regarding turning to Western in a bid for a law school. But But it also, he argues, is clear on the individual level as well. And here are a few of Joel's thoughts regarding the way Canadians approach religion. Active affiliates, so people who are regularly practicing and participating in a religious community, are more likely than marginal affiliates and religious nuns to maintain that religious beliefs and practices should develop in a religious community and that religious groups should have some authority over how one believes and behaves. Yet, the gap is diminishing on this front as, as, uh, as active affiliates appear to more openly embrace individualism in ways similar to the rest of my interviews, interviewees. The reason for this could be attributed to a shifting Canadian consciousness towards individualism that encourages inclusiveness, tolerance, and freedom for individuality amid a plural and diverse social setting. So what he's starting to see is that even amongst the crowd of active affiliates, they're starting to be a little bit more individualistic in their approach to religion and a little less keen on having a religious authority uh, be telling them what to believe and how to behave. So there's more individualism happening even within people who are attending church on a regular basis. And uh, here's a couple quotes that I just think really help to help us get a feel for what what people are thinking. This is an interview with Trent, a an lapsed Anglican. He's reflecting on his religious heritage. Sometimes I don't agree with them. Sometimes I agree with them. Sometimes you cherry pick, like everything in life. There's not a lot of black and white. You pick what you like. I like that. That would be nice. that would be suitable. I'll keep that. Whereas before, years ago, it used to be you couldn't cherry pick. It was all inclusive. You got what you got. Mm-hmm. And then Peter Regal, a conservative a conservative Protestant, thinks that religious groups are already too influential, and they shouldn't be. Let the person shape their own religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. Similarly, Jennifer Redden, a marginal affidi- affiliate in her mid forties, says. I don't believe pushing anything onto anybody. I can talk about how I feel. I can talk about what I believe and what I do, but I don't think that I would have a right to push it onto someone else. These are just three responses that are quite representative of a lot of the interviews that Joel Thiessen had. So Canadians, even religious ones, find it impolite, distasteful, and frankly, just too American to be anything but personal with belief that came out a lot actually people have just very negative views about evangelicals in the states and in canada we have a very shaky self- sense of self you know so we're always defining ourselves in opposition to our neighbors to the south so if we're like we because we don't know who we are but we know we're not them and those evangelicals down there we know we're not them right Tyson's conclusion, next slide. Simply put, individualism, respect, and tolerance, not religion, are the common social bonds that bind the majority of Canadians. And this orientation infuses how many in my study, and I suspect suspect beyond approach religion. And even though Reginald Bibby thinks that there's hope for religion in Canada, and he does he, and he does, uh, he does acknowledge that things have changed drastically and a far cry from where they once were next slide <coughs> viewing religion across canada these days is like viewing devastation after some tragedy is hit it's as if a fire of secularization has devastated much of what through the early 1960s was a flourishing religious forest uh, next slide this is a picture of my grandma's united church in cambridge ontario um they had their last service last, last October. The church has shut down. The remaining people have moved to another United Church. Um, she had, she worshipped and sang in the choir for 45, 50 years at that church. So sad day. I'm sure they'll turn it into condos or something, right? Yeah. So while things aren't looking good for Christianity in Canada, there are a few bright spots. And I'll just point these out and I'll take some questions. Catholicism outside of Quebec has actually been doing quite well. This from Bibby. In the greater Toronto area, he says, the Catholic Church has some 2 million Catholics in close to 225 parishes and celebrates Mass each week in about 40 different ethnic and linguistic communities. So the Catholic Church has always, well, it's everywhere, right? It's all over the world. And so the immigrant pipeline shut off to the Protestant churches in Canada. But now countries like uh, the Philippines are coming to Canada, and they're largely Catholic. So they're providing an extra boost to the Catholic Church in Canada. So very fascinating. Immigration has really um, buoyed the uh, uplifted... or. Most sociologists think that that's what stopped the decline, is actually the influx of new guests to Canada who are religious. And that's not just Christian, but of course Mm -hmm. other religions as well. Uh, The evangelical crowd in Canada has also been holding steady. Evangelicals make up about 10% of the Canadian population, and it's been this way for about 100 years. So we haven't gone down, we haven't gone up about 10%. Steady. and this too is largely due to immigration as well as some some people leaving the mainline denominations anglican united methodist lutheran to more evangelical waters it really is the mainline denominations that are taking it in the chin uh, their influence in Can- canada has changed uh, significantly and here's an interesting statistic i think did you know that there are more Muslim teenagers, or people in, more teenagers in Canada who identify as mus- Muslims than there are teenagers who identify as Anglican, United, and Methodist put together So there's, uh, that's a growing part of the Canada but it's still not nearly close to 10% so I think it's 5 or 6% of Canada maybe is Muslim, but I don't know that for sure Uh so how many people are worshiping in church in Victoria on a regular basis? Back to my question. I realized yesterday that I never really got to the bottom of that question. So my best guess is that there are more active affiliates in Victoria than 5%. I do think there are probably more. But 5% is probably a pretty good guesstimate for the size of the active evangelical community in Victoria. So any questions on this section i have a few concluding thoughts that i'll i'll share afterwards but i just put out there a bunch of statistics are you wondering about anything or anything you'd like to hear again what were you saying
0: about statistics right when you started
1: Like uh, at the beginning of the statistics section? No, right at the beginning of your
0: speech. Oh, it's about 5% I heard. No, 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 no. I'm just oh. saying your attitude towards statistics. Oh. If I remember... I usually
1: jump right over them. Ah, you yes. didn't.
0: I didn't? No. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to highlight like that. Yeah, yeah. But to me, I'm, I'm growing in my love of statistics. <laughs> yeah. Be careful. Yeah. <laughs> Not love, just interest, I guess.
1: Yeah. Any questions?
6: I, I've heard that in North America, inherited faith is on the decline, but right. born-again experiences are actually on the rise. Mm. Did you see anything regarding that in mm. the context of Canada or Victoria?
1: Um, No. Uh, one statistics that I didn't put out there um, I don't know if it would impact your question maybe maybe about the inherited faith side of things um, but out of all the countries in the world, Canadians actually are the least likely to share the faith of their parents mm-hmm. uh, or the older generation I should say so we're, there's a 28 percentage point gap between what Canadians over 45 believe, and what Canadians 19 to 44 believe. So there's a big gap there. Um, so that might speak to that inherited faith, kind of just not, but then I, I don't know.
6: Yeah, and I would imagine that it would be skewed because so many religious people in Canada are immigrants. Right. Their children aren't raised with a similar mindset. Yeah. yeah.
0: Unless they're Muslim.
6: No. no. I have a lot of friends in oh, Toronto, really? well, that's who have been raised by Muslim immigrants, and I find that I have more com- in common with oh. them oh, than I do my secular friends, because they've been raised in a uh, m- morally structured, uh, like psychic environment, where yeah. there's, there's this structure that they can either take or leave, yeah. and I relate to that. Yeah. And a lot of my uh, friends, they have decided to leave their Muslim faith or adapt it in a similar way that I've adapted my Christian faith from what my parents profess. Right.
0: And that is without consequences to their relationships with family. And I would friends?
6: say it's mirrored um, on the Christian and Muslim side. It depends on what the parents are like and mm-hmm. what right. the family culture is like. So exactly. if they're really yeah conservative christians or muslims there could be repercussions but Mm. a lot of people who move to canada obviously have to compromise a lot because they're entering a new
7: culture was there any parallel between um did you read anything about america in terms of just in in relation to like Mm -hmm. is it also
1: on the decline is it yeah i didn't dive too much into that other than some things that i found on the internet recently um a lawnmower something okay okay, but um, no I don't I I don't know I I know that sociologists actually have a hard time figuring America out Um, some people say it's on a secularization trend as well others say no 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 that is not happening they point to all these reasons why and I even the most recent article I read said that um, there's a there's a growing number of younger folks in the United States that are taking their faith very seriously that was the last thing I read, so I'm like, I don't really know what's going on. Yeah.
7: It's interesting because, uh, I mean, you were talking about your grandmother and uh, uh, saying that Canada was a Christian country, yeah. and I was surprised to find out uh, two things about Canada that, one, Canada Day was called Dominion Day, yeah, uh, originally, and secondly, uh, the O Canada Anthem, it has like four or five verses that are mostly about God. Yeah, it's a prayer. Uh, very yeah. surprising to me. Uh, Martin Knoll wrote a book called Whatever Happened in Christian Canada. Yeah. This is, mm-hmm. And he thought it was related to two major things, if I read him rightly. That it is that Canada became bilingual. I don't know how that affected it exactly. Mm-hmm. But secondly, that Trudeau also uh, removed the Catholic Church from the education system yeah. and mm-hmm. politics. So he separated church and state yeah. in, in a real way with the Catholic influence. Yeah. And as soon as that influence was gone, people felt more free. I mean, there were more social circumstances going on, but anyway.
1: Yeah. That was a book I had not read, and it was on my list, but I didn't yeah. didn't get to it. But uh, yeah, no, that's good observations there. Yeah.
4: David, I'd be interested to know your thoughts, or indeed anybody else's. When we talk about, we heard about, I think it was Bibby talking about supply and demand. We heard some of the interviewees talking about respect, don't run it down my throat, that's my words, not theirs. Mm -hmm. Um, And this uh, polite uh, Canadian, um, I go my way, and thank you very much. In the context of our church in September is going to be starting the Alpha course, and I know your church has done it in the past. Um, Any thoughts on how a church In endeavoring to reach family, friends, colleagues, neighbors, Mm -hmm. can do this in this Canadian context that you presented?
1: Yeah. Well, this is this is where I'm at. Like you, you asked the 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 perfect question for me personally that I've been asking myself Um, as a leader in a you know 200 member Christian church in Victoria what does all this mean for me how do how do how do i and i'm i speaking very personally i'm trying to own my missionary identity here how do i engage with this 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 reality and the people around me in in a effective or you know meaningful way um, i have some reflections that i'll share with some of my answers of that but i hope to start a conversation on that um, and we'll get to that in probably about 10 minutes, so I'm just about done. But that's the good question. Yeah, anything on the statistics?
8: Um, so I'm from the southern United States, so Bible Belt. Um, is interdenominational conversions a thing? Like, as big of a thing here, because I know it's the big thing in the South, is like, oh, you're Baptist, you should become Presbyterian, let's convert you and count that as a baptism number. Like, is nice. that big here? <laughs> Do you even have that option because of how secular it is? Is there, like, any rivalries? So I know you mentioned a little bit in the beginning yeah. about the 5% like drawing lines
1: between them. How does that play out in Canada? Yeah. Well, you know, I I only, now I only know the Victoria context really Mm -hmm. as a pastor here. I wouldn't say any, to my knowledge, no church in Victoria is making, making a killing off of (laughs) sheep stealing. (laughs) You know what what I mean? That does happen though. Mm -hmm. And like you hear about it, so I haven't been here that long, but Mm -hmm. I know there was, you know, a season where everyone went to Lambert Park. Mm -hmm. Everyone went to the place. You know, and then there's kind of, there's a little bit of a hustle, a little, you know? Yeah. And, um, whether or not, ch- I don't think churches are intentionally doing that, but they don't intentionally disciple people who come, they're just like, oh, great, you're here, yeah, your other church was probably bad, and welcome to ours, and it's great to have yeah. you, and that is one more person, one more baptism, and yeah. makes us feel good, because pastors really have shaky senses of self, so when we can baptize someone, we feel really good, like we're doing something good. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't know I I don't know. Yeah. two um, questions. Let's start okay. back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm just
9: curious if there are any stats on like um, relationships with God or people who say they have relationships with God versus religion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because when I grew up, I went to the Catholic Church, and. Um, yeah. Me being in that church to not make me any closer to God. Yeah. And so I feel like and some of the statistics we've seen they're they're interesting. And does that like sort of how many of those people had relationships with God while they were in those churches versus now how many people have relationships with God? I don't yeah. know if there's any.
1: Yeah, like, this this is a great question. And you know, sociologists try to get at the relationship with God question from a couple different angles. Because ultimately they can't take a picture of the heart
3: yeah. and
1: know what's going on in the heart. Yeah. So I'll ask questions like, um, "Do you pray?" Uh, you know, once a month, once a day, once a week. Yeah. And Canadians, actually, a lot of Canadians pray semi-frequently. Okay. Um, but even a lot of, you know, a lot of. Actually, that's global. People yeah. pray. Even what, whether or not they're, you know, what they believe. They reach out and they say words to something because they need help, right? Um, so that's one way they get at that. other question is, um, oh, that's the only one I can think of now. But okay. I didn't get go that direction. I mostly focused on the practice of being committed to a, a particular religious community. And I took that as a sign that yeah. the faith is alive. But I know that that's not always true. Yeah.
10: I think just to that point briefly, like I think here there's there's so much less cultural impetus to be in a practicing mm-hmm. faith community. Mm-hmm. Um, like like me in the south, it seems like some people I've talked to like it's still so much part of the culture. Yeah. That, you know, you're kind of li- you're left to scan if you don't go to church on Sunday morning. But as far as my experience growing mm-hmm. up here, it's not like that here. Like there's too much
1: cultural pressure against that -hmm. to want to stay with you if it's not for
11: most people if it's not on some level. yeah totally yeah Trixie Um, yeah so I mean I guess three quick things Um, in terms of statistics one I was wondering around church plants like how does that fit into the denominational thing second I was wondering your statistics did you read anything about indigenous like aboriginal Christians no Okay. No. Because, I mean, I have met a number of them, so I do want to relate to Um, yeah. Third, briefly, is actually interested about the BC number, Yeah. then um, the sharp decline, yeah. and I mean part of it, I think, is BC, <laughs> I mean, we love yoga. <laughs> I mean, personally don't. i yeah, yeah. several times, but I mean, I think in terms of the spirituality around yoga, yeah. is like I live in Vancouver, it's like everyone's wearing yoga stuff. Yep. Um, and there's like a yoga studio every other block. That's and do I, yeah. I So I do wonder in terms of like even thinking de- define the word religion and spirituality, because yes. I think it's quite high spiritually. But yes. I think when we define religion in those particular denomination, then I can see it totally decline. But yet there is still like, and we do have lots of nature. Yeah. And so there's lots of nature yoga retreat everywhere and spirituality kind of sets everywhere. So that's kind of like yeah, my sense yeah. a
1: little bit. Yeah, the Spirit Trail, right? Like that's <laughs> yeah, like, like even totally that and, and the Forest Bathers. Totally. Yeah, and yoga at 10, ten o'clock Sunday morning, right? Like it's So many yoga retreats. Yeah.
11: It's like pretty much every weekend you can go on. One. That's right. So I like, think spirituality. Maybe it's very it's alive. Very, it's very alive, but I think when we organize religion in that sense, maybe yeah, I can yeah. see it. for sure
1: it's that it's that authority structure, mm-hmm. and exclusivity, mm-hmm. is a big thing. Yeah. Uh, we we just do not like that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Well, let me offer some things that I find myself. Oh, sorry, you're over here.
5: Well, uh, yeah. I on, but I do want to uh, split a hair here between. Sure the uh conversation going on between uh, bibby and uh Joel uh, yes yeah uh, just because as to uh, hear talk about uh, Joel talk about this uh, thriving forest, forest here yeah. um, and to draw like uh, the difference between like uh, a, a Christianity and a Christian mm-hmm. uh, because uh, what we're uh' see in this area is really like the, the last remnants of Christian coming right. to an end yeah uh, you you mentioned the like, the United Church the Anglican those are all like you know Mainline, the sort mainline of state yeah. sponsored that came over That's with right. yes, and so as uh, the state itself has be embraced uh, in a level of inclusiveness, uh, again, Bibby wrote a fair chunk on that in like a, the Boomer Factor, yep, um, and how um, the the reflections of the state has also come to reflect uh, of the uh, the staple has also come to reflect our uh, relationship with the church. So uh, churches like uh, the Anglican United have especially become more inclusive in terms of like uh, who can marry, who can accept communion. And for for those things there has been like a, uh, uh, that's also had a shadow side just in terms of the level of delusion of the, uh, dilution of the the theology as well. Right. Um, So, um, and you look over to Catholics firm lines, evangelicals pretty firm lines. And so we can see sort of people going towards higher ground, if you will, like uh, a firmer and surer yeah. Um, which I think would be uh, looking towards more of a, a firmer spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, I think, a part of what we're seeing in uh, the, the rise of the nuns, is that they're, they're now allowed to believe nothing, right? Um, Even yeah. something uh, that is Describe per se. And they're also going towards places that actually uh, have a solid message. Uh, I, I say that as an, uh, as an Anglican who has right. critiques of my Catholic church. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think I'm going to mention this too, but um, Tison notes that if this were just uh, changing the supply mm-hmm. to try to engage the man, well, there are actually a couple churches that have gone that direction quite, whether it's intentionally or just kind of with the flow a little bit, mm-hmm. um, to say, well, this is this is the trend. This is We'll go along, and mm-hmm. sort of all are welcome, you know. Everyone mm-hmm. come. There's no barriers here whatsoever. W- wide open doors. But, then <laughs> but then they're they're closing down. Like this one. Wide, this was a wide open door church, and eventually no one came in the doors. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a interesting. They changed the supply to try to meet what they felt was the demand.
5: Mm-hmm. And uh, when you make no demands, you get no people. That's right. Yeah, I've heard
7: sure, that sure. Uh, the the more liberal the church becomes, the the tendency is to close. Yeah. And the hyper conservative ones. Yeah. Uh, are remaining strong or growing. Yeah. And they remain financially strong. Yeah. Because of a sense of tithing. Yeah. A sense of commitment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you could speak. About that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go there. Just
1: oh, give me one okay. second. I'm going. I'm going to move into my, uh, my, my, my my what I'm thinking. So I'm, I'm thinking personally, you know, what does this mean for me? What am I learning? And here's what I find myself thinking about. So I don't have like, I haven't come to firm things. This is what I, this is what's swirling through my mind. And the first thing is, is what I, I'm calling gospel fluency. Um, I need to better understand the narratives and ideologies that shape the worldviews or social imaginaries of contemporary Canadians and learn how to translate the gospel into that in a way that makes sense and is compelling. Um, It's not unimportant for Christians to engage each other and talk about our differences. I think that's important work to do lovingly and healthily. But when I try to teach teens what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in the world, I shouldn't do that over and against the Roman Catholic Church, right? Have that be the backdrop. So I, I, I'm I, supposed to teach, as a Reformed pastor, the Heidelberg Catechism to teenagers. The Heidelberg Catechism was written in the sixth, 15th, 16th century against the backdrop of Roman Catholicism. So it's always talking about us in relation to them. Mm-hmm. right? And so here, in 2018, I'm trying to talk about what it means to be a Christian, still sometimes in relation to Roman Catholicism, which is just ridiculous right totally ridiculous i need to talk about what it looks like to be a christian against the backdrop of expressive individualism and spiritual environmentalism because that's the world the teens are living in so this gospel fluency speaking the language of the people and how to translate christ into that so the second thing i'm thinking about is the need for rootedness in historic Christianity and depth in faith and practice so David Haskell and Kevin Flatt two sociologists from Ontario did a study on the traits of growing and declining mainline churches in Canada, actually in Ontario specifically, so this is what you're talking about Clark, Uh, their paper was called Theology Matters and in the paper uh, they (coughs) discovered that there's a relationship between theological conservatism and church growth Um, they actually had a hard time doing the study because they there wasn't they couldn't find as they needed to find a, a sample group of growing churches. <laughs> and they, they, they could they couldn't find enough. So they just found as many as they could. Um, and what they discovered about those churches, and these were this is part of the mainline community, so Anglican United, Lutheran, Methodist, um, is that there's these these the pastors believe what they preach, they trust scripture. They believe in the Apostles' Creed and their churches, the people pray, and they're committed to evangelism. Mm -hmm. So they're committed as a community to evangelism. um, And very intentional in living that out as a community. So, and I think doctrine here, sometimes we get negative about doctrine. Uh, Doctrine is not, so what I mean by historic Christianity is like the the truths of the faith, like that, has been passed down through the centuries, centuries, and it's not just merely about. So we think the right things, you know. If doctrine, if laid well out, laid out well, protects. It protects the gospel. It's the structure that protects the gospel, and um, and that's worthy of protection because it is, says Paul, the power of God unto salvation. Like we do not have power as churches without the gospel. I mean yeah we just do not And i think the christian community this is actually an opportunity for us for me for all our churches or whatever uh, if maybe you're not part of a church but certainly for the christians uh, it's an opportunity for us to clarify our our relationship with jesus do we really believe that people really need him i mean that's the question do we really believe that people really need him do we, you know, does he offer something that only he can offer, that people really need? And I think we're forced to ask that question today, forced. And how we answer it will depend, uh, you know, depend. That that'll clarify the direction we go. But um, we need to we need to come out clearly on that question. And if people really need him, then we need. That's got to be central to our mission. Okay, I'm losing my way here. Um, uh, and I'm not talking about just theology here, but also like a depth of spiritual practice. I think now more than ever, I and my congregation need to be drawn into the Christ narrative. And so our worship, it cannot be sloppy. like, um, But deeply rooted in, in the practices of the church, we need real food, not fast food. But... Uh, and gordon smith who i took a class with him earlier in the summer he talks about the need for real-time communion with the risen and ascended jesus and i thought about that a lot and i've been trying in my own way to practice what is real-time connection communication communion with the risen and ascended jesus look like um and and how do i how do i make that a part of my life um for the sake of just integrity and uh, and power for myself so that I can continue uh, in my missionary identity. So there's just a few of the things I'm thinking about there. The other thing, uh, two more other short things, uh, the need to be, for me personally, to be an encouraging person.
2: Um,
1: and I, by encouraging, I don't mean simply letting people know that they're doing a good job or or affirming their personhood. Uh, I mean, that's, that's good stuff too. But by encouraging, I mean encouraging people in the faith. They might be the only Christian at work. They might be the only Christian left in their family. Um, they could be feeling just kind of overwhelmed and lost. Uh, how can I, in my preaching, discipling, conversations, grow in my capacity to speak a word that lifts up a brother or sister in the faith. I think we need to be encouraging one another, Mm -hmm. uh, but I certainly need to be doing that. And then finally, I'm thinking about the need for friendship. Deep, meaningful, honest friendship. The purpose of this friendship is not evangelistic in nature. The goal is not conversion, but human to human connection. The goal is that I bring my whole self, my whole self out in relationship with you, and you bring your whole self out in relationship with me. And we connect, we talk, we try to make sense of life together. And for me, bringing my whole self out in relationship with you is to say, I'm a pastor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Right? I, I, I don't always really like to say that out loud. But, to, and, and to say, I believe that I really really need Jesus and that he has something that only he can offer and I need it. So that's me being 100% honest about what to another person. And then I'm going to let them be 100% honest, means share where they're at and whatever, you know, whatever their spirituality is. Uh, Canadians hate being evangelized, right? They hate it. That's what came out as I was reading. But real, honest, human-human to connection, I think this is where it's at. And really, I think that's probably where it's always been at, actually. Um, In my tradition, it's not I who do the converting, but God who does the converting and the change of the heart. So being real in relationship um, with all people, but... Specifically in my situation, trying to build connections with people outside of the church. So the the sports I play, the the conversations I have at the park, all these places are opportunity for me to build deep, meaningful connection with other people and try to bring my whole self to that encounter. Um, And also, and this is connected to this, you know, I, I think this is important because the reality is is that it's not just religious people in Canada whose beliefs have been fragilized, right? Believers have their doubts and we have to believe somehow in the midst of our doubts. But unbelievers aren't exactly comfortable in their unbelief either. Mm-hmm. We're all caught between the cross pressures of imminence and the haunting residue of transcendence, to go back into Taylor's way of thinking about things. And really, it's not crazy that people see faces in the forest. It is not crazy, right? Mm -hmm. It's not crazy that they go into the woods looking for connection, Mm -hmm. for something, to something or to someone. Mm -hmm. Next slide. Because there is a face in the forest. You know? Just thinking of that verse in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. In him all things hold together. All creation made by him and for him. He is before all things, the firstborn from among the dead. The forest is haunted, haunted with the face of Christ. Let's go for a walk in the woods. <laughs> and that's it. Thanks, David. I, yeah. um,
7: Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, one of the con- th- <coughs> threads that I heard in the concluding reflections, uh, well, first in contrast to um, what people are leaving is an institutionalism in mm-hmm. the ritual. I've known people who spoke of going to a Catholic church, but they're just tired of going to a mass that they cannot understand, and things like this, mm-hmm. or they just repeat it every time. But at the same time, the, the attempt at being uh, so loose with everything in terms of their beliefs mm-hmm. that, well, one of, the loo- one of the, if you keep loosening doctrine from a core, then belief in committing, not only committing to God, but committing to the church mm-hmm. becomes, well, I don't have to be in church to believe the same things. And so people become very detached or unattached in that way, or can be. especially if there's not social cohesion there Mm -hmm. and so I see both happening Uh, but you really brought it together in this dynamism of what I would say is the spirit's work to to say are we truly committed to Christ do we really believe that he matters Mm -hmm. do we really believe what he says and all the principles that build around that the, the community Proclamation, uh, the investigation, and also the openness to others. I mean, as Paul was, I mean, he was a deep believer in Jesus, but also a deep reader of Stoicism, Epicureanism, looking at artwork throughout the city in order to do the sociological work that you're doing. Right. You have a commitment to Jesus and you are really wanting to know people. Yeah. I mean, you have a love for people and not just seeing them as objects in which to convert. Right. And so I just see that as a common thread. I think that it's important that we hone in on that question that you asked is Jesus who he really says he is yeah. and I think that when we become truly committed to that yeah. it actually works itself out not in either the empty ritual or in the looseness it, it actually brings the dynamism that the spirit
1: brings right, yeah cool, thanks for helping
0: me put that on <laughs>
1: that thread right together
0: Yeah. Jake yeah, I want to Touch base on Alpha for a moment. Twenty years ago, I got involved with Alpha when it was really blossoming. I wouldn't run Alpha myself again today for where I'm at, but regardless of that. The key thing I found in Alpha, and I think the key thing for the church, is Alpha concentrates on dialogue. You know, for 45 minutes, people are exposed to a presentation. The next forty-five minutes they sit in small groups that take a while to build trust and openness. Where anything goes, where anything can be asked, and the leader only steps in when something factual is or in error is is said. For instance, you know, Jesus wore wooden shoes. No, he didn't. There's no evidence of that. That's what I'm getting at. But the question that comes up, that I found came up, first of all, I don't believe the Bible any more than I believe um, what the Muslims read. What makes the Bible what it is for people? And uh, the other question they have is Is Jesus really God's Son? When we live in a universe where there are more stars than there are sand grains on this planet, and He, the Son of God, comes to this planet? I mean, those are the kind of questions people are asking today. And sometimes you have to be honest and say, I don't have an answer. You know? And the third thing I want to say, is what you just mentioned, and what you referred to. We don't increase the church membership. The Holy Spirit does. Mm -hmm. Nothing we do. But everything He does. But, there is a partnership in that process. Yeah, because our work is not meaningless. No, no, no. We're in, you know, there are things that we do that the Holy Spirit won't do. He's not going to make sure that the building isn't going to collapse. That's your job. You know? But when they worship Him, it, it's the Holy Spirit that converts people. Right. And that's what we have to rely on. You know? And leave that open and say, trust yeah. But you yeah. think
7: of the Old Testament prophets who were constantly calling Israel to repent because disbelief in the culture and the systemic injustice was often a result of the priesthood. Uh, And and Jesus had a lot of strong words for the Pharisees. So yes, I think that God will do his work, but we are responsible for what we do with the gospel. Also with
0: his guidance.
7: Of course with his guidance. We don't take his word as our word, um, but be servants of the word. Yes. So I'm, I'm agreeing with you, but I'm just saying that there is a social responsibility we have toward disbelief and belief. And so when I look at the Canadian landscape, I have to think the church is responsible for a lot of this as well. It's not as if people have just lost the plot. I think the church lost the plot and, and a lot of disbelief as a result of yeah. that.
2: And
0: that's why I say go back to Christ. He was hard on the, on the uh, institution, but he always had an open ear. For the person he addressed, or that addressed him, and he was always—it was dialogue.
2: He never
0: forced himself on anyone, but somehow he opened up. And then the question that the person is, Well, what should I believe? Yeah. You know, I, I think anyway, with
1: respect sorry. to the, the, the role of the church, I mean, Bibi gave some of the key ingredients, but certainly like a lax, lax a lackadaisical approach to faith formation. In the church, so just kind of, it's, it's hard. You can't go all over all these communities because some of them maybe did have quite a, quite an intentional approach, but a laxity school approach to for faith formation and a low commitment to evangelism, um, or and I, I think sharing sharing the gospel with even in their own midst probably, you know what I mean. So those two things are certainly the church's
12: uh,
1: dropping the ball on something that God has given them to, 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 to be about. yeah. Irene.
8: Um, so this is kind of related to our lunch discussion we had today. Um, do you think the church climate in Canada is a safe place for those seeking Christ and those doubting? Because um, I know in the States it's easier to seek than it is to doubt and it's more acceptable to be seeking. And with that, do you think the culture that is very tolerating and very individualistic um, makes it uncomfortable for people to reconcile or doubts because of pessimistic view of beliefs?
1: Whoa, say that again. Should roll it down.
8: So the last half being, do you think the tolerance and individualism of the society um, makes it more uncomfortable for people to doubt because it's a pessimistic view of beliefs and that's so like frowned upon here to have a pessimistic view of anyone's I- ideas and even your own. Um, it's really loaded. You don't have to address all. Of I'm, that. Not sure. I, I'm not sure. I'm not I, sure. I'm just not sure.
1: I'm, I understand. No one asks me questions after sermons, people. Maybe <laughs> 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 you should. Know, sometimes. you should. They should, yeah. you should. Yeah. Uh, I Everyone just able, leaves. Uh, good, good sermon, I, I Pastor. I don't quite understand How the question. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, I think, someone else rephrase I that? I can try and rephrase
10: it because yeah. I have this discussion. So, yeah. we, were just, we were talking about um, judgment in our lunch discussion today. Mm-hmm. Judging other people. And, um, and it was a lot of us struggle with that, both with judging and with and feeling uncomfortable with those judgments, mm-hmm. and so, um, so what was just coming up is how how churches should make judgments against people's behavior, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, and so I think it's just something we're trying to wrestle through. So I think one of those questions is, um, is this 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 fact that we don't really like to judge other people's behavior mm-hmm.
2: um, internalized?
10: Yeah. Contributing to—is it—is it helping or is it not helping in um, church?
1: Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I can only kind of speak in my own context. Like, I'd say like, um, there's certainly a low in my own church. Mm-hmm. If someone were to come out uh, doubting, mm-hmm. like I have big, I have big serious questions. Like, I think you probably—they'd get tons of empathy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, they would—it would not be like, it would. Not be frowned up. There might be a few people who wouldn't know how to engage that very well. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but most people would be like, "Well, so do I. Let's talk." Like, there's 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 an openness to have those hard kinds of conversations. I wouldn't say people would look down on someone for having doubts. Um, and I think that's mostly because most most of the families in my church. Um, there's very few where the faith is intact.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Most of them are not like that, actually, at all. Um, we've, we've experienced, in our church, with eight, 800 members in uh, you know mid-80s, and now it's 200, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so we've, we've been humbled mm-hmm. to in, in many ways. So there's a great openness to people who have doubts. Yeah.
9: Yep. that's an interesting question because I'm also from the United States, except it's a very different part. I'm <laughs> on the West Coast, Berkeley, yeah. very liberal. Um, and so I think we have the opposite problem where seeking is actually hard and frowned upon in that context. It takes a lot of guts to say even, like, hey, I'm a Christian and I... Have certain beliefs. It's like wow, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know. So I think I don't know. It's just interesting to look at different contexts and yes. um also to just encourage you. I mean, I obviously can't speak for everyone or everywhere, but I have been fortunate enough to be in many different states and to visit many different states, and I found it really interesting. I felt like God keeps bringing me to churches that are remarkably similar. They're all non-denominational and they're not. Like people related to each other, they're, they're God related to each other, you know. Mm-hmm. And sort of the model that they've had in every single one of those churches, the growth has been exponential. It's full of young people, people are worshiping, they're praising. There's so much life, there's so much mm-hmm. vibrancy. In each of those cases, there's usually sort of a young Pastor, or a couple pastors, sort of like yourselves, like, and I'm always, I I laugh now when I go to these because it's almost like the same setup except, like, (laughs) the people who are, like, appropriate for that context. Like, there's the Hawaii ones, there's, there's like, the Wisconsin ones, the Berkeley ones. (laughs) So, to, like, to encourage you, like, I feel like God is doing something in that realm, and it might be interesting. I don't know if it'd be helpful to just have. Friends, pasture people—I'm sure you already do—but like people, perhaps in those movements, yeah. to just get their insights on what it's been like. Because I know it's still a journey. It's not yeah. like, ooh, okay, everybody comes now. <laughs> like, yeah, you yeah. No,
1: that's that startup culture is very interesting to me too. Because I think, yeah, in the states, there, you know, it's a different. I, I, I guess I wonder how that works in Canada. Yeah, exactly. And if it does. Yeah. <laughs> and I think in some cases it does, probably just to a lesser extent. Um, but certainly, church planting is very important for church growth, um, and, and there's lots of research about that. Yeah, yeah. it might be an
5: interesting. Yeah. Someone over here? Yeah. Uh, just because this has uh, come up, we we have a good Canadian-American divide, and it's it's uh, worth noting that like um, Taylor does spend a fair cha- uh, a section in secular age going over American exceptionalism. Okay. There is uh, like. Like America is quite an exception when it comes to its religious fervor to yeah. the rest of the developed world, and particularly like Canada has always followed been more on the uh, UK trend. We right. culturally uh, we are closely bound yeah. to our uh, colonial forefathers than yeah. uh, than we are to our American neighbors, and yeah. so like the uh, mm-hmm. the how religion plays out here is, is vastly different to uh, that side of the border. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like in these interviews in Joel Thiessen's book, it's like, oh, we're not like one of those. That's like, we're not, we don't want to be like our American evangelical.
5: Charles, uh, uh, George Grant has a joke about, and it's, it's a, hot, a joke, it's like uh, Canada was born out of uh, two groups, uh, the British and the French, who did not want to be American. Right. Uh, which, <laughs> which has defined a fair chunk yeah, of our that's politics. That's
1: right, yeah. Yeah, So there's differences there. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Did, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have any uh, statistics about uh, the number of people
1: in Canada who are believers but don't go to church at
2: all?
1: Mm-hmm. I don't. Oh, oh, ot- I don't know for those sure, those, uh, but yeah. I know in 2011, 67 percent of Canadians self-identified as Christian. Mm-hmm. So that's but Catholic, Protestant, new day, new day. and then about 23 percent of Canadians are actively. Act, called active affiliates actively involved in a particular okay, religious yeah, nice. comu- community. Now that includes Christians and Muslims and Hindus yeah. and all, all the rest. So 67 do. down to 23 uh, no yeah, I, we have to that's probably whatever rooms. that is 67. To <laughs> so I'm not very good at math. 44. <laughs> <laughs> 44? Is it 44 because that would be the amount of people that are so-so about religion mm-hmm. right <laughs> okay. So neither embrace nor uh, reject. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it all works. Yeah. And, um,
3: Sorry, go for it. Follow up. So he did that. It was a part B. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh Yeah, you said that Canadians don't like to be evangelized. Uh, do you
1: have any statistics or studies? It only came out in the interviews. Oh, okay. So yeah. all the the qualitative research that uh, that Joel Thiessen did. So he interviewed about a hundred people in Calgary, and that was just came out again and again and again and again. It was mostly exactly. in,
3: in the West. Mm-hmm.
1: He, he was pretty much, he said, yeah, he realized this was a weakness in the study, but it was only in Calgary. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is, is a big difference. He, <laughs> he tried to,
2: uh, in
3: Quebec, we, we realized that in the last years, uh, uh, people are very happy to be evangelized. They want to we the gospel, we're very short, two minutes, but <laughs> they, they always say thank you. And on, out of 60,000 people in one year, 1% only were negative.
1: Hmm.
3: It's a very... Uh, yeah, so you, that
1: could just be, you know, sometimes it's... Yeah. You don't really know until yeah. you try, right, I guess? I
3: would be interested to know how it works in other provinces or in different yeah. places. As
13: well. And it's also, yeah. that's
1: the kind of thing where... Um, it context matters a lot here, yeah. too. It, like when... When someone knocks on my door wanting to tell yeah, me about right. the <laughs> Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, I'm just like, I don't really want to talk about, like, and and please don't come to my door. Like That's what I feel, right? Um, whereas, if there was a social setting in which I was talking to a total stranger and we had a, the capacity to have a real conversation that was not forced or provoked by me saying, hey, I want to have a conversation about Jesus, or here's a here's a piece of paper with like a gap and why you're going to fall into it <laughs> right um like I think that could be totally different that's a all of a sudden oh well I'm interested in what you believe and I'm interested in what you believe well, let's talk about that
12: that's
2: a
14: I have
1: there's a hand back there
14: yeah I was going to say I'm not sure are you familiar with um, Fowler's stages of faith Fowler, he's a sociologist could James Fowler?
2: No.
14: Okay, and uh, it might be a tool that you find might yeah. find really helpful for a wider kind of um, take on this. So he suggests that there's different stages of faith yeah. in terms of, he's um, basically taken sociological um, development of, of, of um, personal development, and then he's placed it in terms of a faith development. Yeah. And um, um, the writings of a guy called Alan Jamieson. It yeah. might be very interesting because I'm from New Zealand yeah. and New Zealand and BC yeah. are actually quite compar- oh, sure, comparable yeah. Yeah. in terms of the stages of the amount of people who are, our, our stats would look pretty similar to BC, sure. yeah? um, but a variety of, but for different reasons than perhaps have come up here. But Alan Jamison was a sociologist and a Baptist minister who decided to do, his research question was around why do people leave church? This mm. was in the New Zealand context. And uh, he expected, obviously, to kind of think, well, you know, uh, I don't know, why do people leave Chooch? You can't be bothered. Excuse or, me? Oh, yes, hello, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we're we're one, um Sammy. me and Andrew and Hannah are wondering, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, um, so he he looked at why do people leave, and anyway, his research, he was really surprised. Yeah to find that the average church leader in the New-, New Zealand context had been in church leadership, uh, had been in a, a teaming church for over 10 years, had invariably done at least two years of senior church leadership, uh, had often studied, etc., etc. So the question is, how come they ended up post-church? And I think it's all very fine getting people in the front door, but what are we doing about the back door?
2: Yeah. And mm-hmm. how do we
14: love the people who are yeah. the back yeah. And so, this, so Alan Javison would yeah. then look for some matter of explanation and help. And so he found that, uh, if I'm to put it crassly, the six stages of faith development. Mm-hmm. And stage three would be your classic kind of, uh, we are willing to assent to an authority, a.k.a. a pastor. Um, our peers' relationship to us is very influential. Yeah. Um, and so we're willing to be shaped by that community. Yes. But stage four is two of those doubts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we... Can I ask my questions? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority found they could not ask those questions mm-hmm. safely yeah. in yeah. the context of the yeah. institutional church. Yeah. So they went beyond it mm-hmm. and basically left it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of them ended up in yeah. either I home churches. Well sorry, sorry no. uh, <laughs> home churches or 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 other kind of casual gatherings. Yeah. But they were still Jesus followers. Yeah. Many mm-hmm. vast majority of them. About jesus but they're post-church yeah so part of my question is is this looking at church affiliation or is, uh, this is this looking at jesus yeah. affiliation mm-hmm. that's right i mean
1: this is those are the hard things to kind of capture um so how many people in canada are just post-church but still captivated by jesus
2: that's it mm-hmm. and i don't know
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, you know I, I know the Victoria context. i certainly I've certainly met a number of people who are in that s- situation. Yeah. Um, it's it's not a small group.
14: No. So yeah. how do we do post church? Yeah. You know yeah. how do we do gatherings Same. of Christians yeah. around the person of Christ, but in a way that doesn't push all those trigger points and mm-hmm. it's right. a safe place. And, and that's what <laughs> I <I'm laughs> bring them to the break. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well,
1: I I'm a little bit maybe I'm maybe I'm just stuck in. I'm just stuck in the stuck in the church, I guess, and that I think my experience maybe maybe it's a, I'm a little bit of a pessimistic person, but I do think that um, whatever kind of post church community of Christ followers, just it's just a new church,
2: yeah, and
1: the problem is not. Yeah. The building. No. It's when, what happens when people get together into the same room and try to do things together and they drive each other crazy. Yeah. And you have to work through that, whether it's a big community or a small community, you're meeting in a church building or in a living room. And so I'm, I'm, I'm of the school that, like, well, it's, it's going to be tricky. The only way you're going to have like the perfect is if you're kind of doing it by yourself or with only the people you let in <laughs> and you get to call the shots. Um, <laughs> But anyway, that's a great question though, because I, I I don't know the research on that. But bye. <laughs> She's being cold. Um One thing I will say, uh, in connection with that, is I I did see some different stages of faith development. I was blown away because it was so helpful. So I'm totally going to be thinking through that. Um, it was called this person called it spiritual midwifery, mm-hmm. and just talked about um, the. And it's not like t- you can't run someone else down any more than you can force a baby out of a pregnant woman. My wife is nine months pregnant, basically right now. Um, like you, it's so, but when things start to happen, there are things that midwives know how to do to engage well. And obviously, they can't give birth to the baby, but they can be present and help at certain stages and do different things. Uh, it was so amazing. I'm going to be thinking through that for a long time. One other thing that uh, she uh, got me thinking about, and this is, where I, this is why I think the friendship piece is so important. So what's happening in Canada too, we're starting to go into a little bit of echo chambers here and mm-hmm. atheists feel cool towards evangelicals and kind of don't want to associate. And evangelicals feel cool towards atheists and don't really want to associate. So they ask questions about how do you feel about so and so becoming a part of your family. Like a Muslim, a Christian, a Buddhist and atheist would rather have a lot of people other than evangelical Christians join their family. Oh yeah. And it's it works the opposite way too. And so I think that's that for me was like friendship. Like like the only way to break that down is just Honest, good, yeah. good old-fashioned. Yeah. I like you. <laughs> let's let's <laughs> go mountain biking and just talk, right? Like. And bike. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, yeah. So uh, I have a bunch of questions over you. here. <laughs> uh, let's go with.
12: Uh, it's
11: her birthday. Yeah.
3: Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to translate.
12: Oh.
3: When, when we, what we notice when we uh, evangelize.
12: The majority, the great majority of
3: people uh, have faith in God. Yes. Not, not necessarily a, a
12: Christian gang, faith. Yes. Yes. They are open. Yeah,
3: that's it. They, they, they are open to have a relationship with God. Or something spiritual but yeah. not with a group of S- people, not a church. Non, yes. Quebec. In Quebec, in Quebec in yeah. uh, people are afraid th- of the word church. the the eighty percent of people saying we are Catholic and yeah. not going to church. That's right. Are yeah, afraid of the church
12: and
3: cause of the, back- the background, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah and not their parents the gap between mm-hmm. the, Alors, the new generation and, and their parents
12: there are
3: more much, uh, okay. more Christians outside of the church yes. and okay. in the church uh-huh. ah. no.
1: <coughs> so be okay. I would love to sit and talk and mm-hmm. hear what, what what could be done? Like what are what are what are creative <laughs> churches doing to engage that we are here that's to find here
2: financially?
3: Most people say that they, they pray. pray God. Yeah. yeah. But so, they, they don't attend mm-hmm. to any church. Yeah.
2: Very interesting. Yeah.
11: Um, Yeah, I think just to touch on your point around the friendship thing, I think, and I'm from Vancouver, and one of the big recent studies, and they did a follow-up study from Vancouver Foundation, which is the largest foundation in BC, um, is that the number one issue, and Vancouver has many, like, housing is top, transportation is top, but it's actually loneliness, because I actually really think... And there's lots of follow-up mm-hmm. research done after this big, huge survey, and I, it's very true, and I, it's not just BCM Vancouver, it's I'm sure across Canada, so this yeah. sense of loneliness mm-hmm. and lack of community. So when I think about church, especially the, the client of church, I actually really think like it, it's really important then to, to re examine for people who are in church and from yeah. community, like how do we actually Build and welcoming community, and not just a church building, but actually create yeah. connections for people who are very lonely. Yeah. And and the second part that come into me, and this is part of, like I work in the church too, but uh, and the statistic you said was super interesting around immigrants, like and yeah. immigration, how that affects like religion, mm-hmm. yeah. um, especially at this time in Canada where there's still lots of immigrants, but a lot of more refugees coming in too, and I work yeah. with a number of them too. How does that affect, especially are we able to it's open it's our connection. not just our church, our community and create those kind of connections? Because mm. totally. a lot of them, yeah, from a number of backgrounds, Muslim but they're also Christians and so how do we like a, as Christians like I think we're definitely that's mm. actually our task to really create space of welcoming, mm. space of belonging, a space of community. Yep. That I think sometimes it's it's harder because we just want to be in this church and grow the number in this church. Yes. where really we should be opening the door. And growing that kind of sense of community in our workplace
1: and our school—it's yeah. not just in this yeah. Sunday morning. Well, the—I uh, un- mean—in our own, Trixie and I are part of the same denomination, but mm-hmm. um, in Vancouver, the new West yeah. CRC yeah. has—they uh, realized all the inter- all the international yeah. students that come to the Lower Mainland. It's just crazy how many Ooh, international. Right. Com- and the number one they thing they want to experience is what life in Canada is like. Yeah.
2: <laughs> or being invited to, be, to a Canadian To be home. invited
1: to a Canadian yeah. home. Mm-hmm. And the church is like, oh. And so they do this like Thanksgiving dinner. They
11: have two houses. I actually just went to a... Pre- and like, the all meeting.
1: these international yeah. students coming in. They actually
11: have two houses. Yeah. And now they now bought
1: two together. houses for international students. It's incredible. And uh, their church used to be all sort of Dutch people. Yep. <laughs> and now it's like Super a important. third international and they're yeah. becoming elders and then there are also there's they, these people come for three or four years become christians sometimes mm-hmm. and then they go back to china or japan, japan china. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then just the impact that that could have globally is so fascinating so lots of opportunities yes yeah. um so
8: going back to your statistics on the parents and kids dynamic of like the loss of religion or not wanting to force it on the kids um, how much of that do you think is the result of the church and how much do you think is the change in dynamics between parents and children? Because you have the growing demand on parents when you said like both parents are not working and the effects of housing yeah.
1: I actually don't think it's either one of those things. I, I think it's part of that Canadian individualism mm-hmm. or just individualism in general. The The idea of not wanting... It feels like we're hoisting something on another person and we mm-hmm. don't like to do that. So I don't think it... What were the two options you said?
8: Um, the church or changing parent and child
1: dynamics. Yeah, I don't think it's the church.
8: Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe we haven't done a very good job of helping parents
2: yeah.
1: do that. But these are parents outside of the church generally. Yeah. Most parents in the church, all the those even coming in too. But, uh, yeah. So it's that individualism. But I think they are, see, my, my belief is that they are passing something on to their child. Mm-hmm. They are indoctrinating their children into individualism. Mm-hmm to choices them, so it wouldn't be surprising if many of them grow up to be teenagers to hold the exact same beliefs as their parents. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to hoist my beliefs onto my children, right? And that they basically just were religiously socialized into individualism. So, yeah, I think you just with kids you give them something. You always give them something. <laughs> Which is what something are you going to give them? Go back here.
13: Um, When you speak of church and the impact, um, or where the church is declining and the center and the impact that the church has had on those numbers, what would you say when you're weighing it out sh- church as institution and church as people is mm-hmm. having influence? I'm hearing both come through, but I'm just curious as to when we speak of church impacting the numbers declining or not, yeah. how much of it is the people and how much of it is the institution?
1: Well, certainly it's. Uh, so I'm thinking. What I mostly studied was the gathered body meeting together, which we call the church, and those things are shrinking. Um, in many ways, in some places they're not. The evangelical community has kind of stabilized, and some the Catholic community is kind of. Sta- well, it's continuing to go down, but it's kind of stabilized. Um, so I, I don't know, if maybe I'm not quite getting your question. With the, yeah. I'm thinking
13: more of the influence side of it. Um, the influence. I mean, I'm again yeah. hearing some people's response to not wanting to be in church because they don't want to be in the same Mass every Sunday or they don't want to yeah. be meeting in a building. But I haven't heard maybe as much of, I don't want to be in church because um, this is what the church did to me personally. Yeah. And I think that is actually very prevalent as well. So I'm curious to know yeah. how much of that has impacted the numbers as well and I, I don't know if that's pulled through in the statistics but I'm even just curious in terms of you
2: know perspective well
1: what what yeah what impact is this having on sort of the social lives of Canadians Christian Canadians who are engaged in various ways in their communities um, and I guess it's, it's hard to say like um, I will say that I mean if you think about who's bringing in refugees I mean we can we can kind of poke fun at the United Church a bit, but they are active in their resettlement. Same, I, I, I believe, I don't know for sure, but I believe it's the same with the Anglican Church. It's like, that is high priority. Um, what happens if you have less and less of those kinds of communities doing those kinds of things? That's going to have an impact eventually, unless the evangelical community picks up the slack um, to to, to uh, some of those more social, social justice type type initiatives. Um, yeah, so I, I think the I, I bet the I, I imagine the impact
0: we felt over time. But don't we have to face the fact that we're sinners and the organization called the church. To be a member of it requires you to be the sinner first, to recognize you're a sinner. Yeah. And we do make mistakes. And you know, I have two sons and four grandchildren who know nothing, who have nothing to do with the church. And I have to kindly say, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, we can't walk on water unless it's frozen. <laughs> what else are you going to do? Where else are you going to find something that gives you some sense of stability? You know, and to throw the question back at them. And I'm wondering if the church isn't in the same position that all human organizations are in. I wouldn't belong to a, a, a political party right now because there are certain things in each party that I can absolutely not agree with.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, and so you find mm-hmm. less and less people becoming involved with political parties. But who's running the country?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and I think that's happened in the U.S. as well. Mm-hmm. you yeah, that you're religious. And I also think within the church, you know, I mean, you know, we go to the same church, brother, mm-hmm. and we have uh, confessions that I can't underwrite, mm-hmm. and they're 400 years old. It's not just the Heidelberg Catechism. 500. Huh? 500. Mm-hmm. 500. <laughs> <laughs> However, for you who belong to that Mennonite Anabaptist side of things, we have a confession that says we don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> that was written 500 years ago. Yeah, was
14: <laughs> you know,
0: and now we gotta we got to come to terms with that. Yeah. And young folks are saying, if you're not going to come to terms with it, forget it. Yeah. So then who runs the church? Well, you know, And in our church, as you know, when it comes to getting office bearings, you know, there's only as many Whose arms are twisted a little bit, has the vacancies, you know, yeah. and that's also a commentary of where we're having, yeah, yeah. Well, The volunteerism is, yeah, yeah. I'm okay. sorry.
1: I, I did I answer your question? I
13: think so. I th- again, I think it's a, a complex question, and I I'm, I wonder what it has in terms of the to the growth of the church when we talk about you said developing a church program or whatever. To probably is not going to bring people in, it's because it maybe isn't just that it's the church building, it's the people mm-hmm. in the church building that have also turned them off, so yes. it's it's quite a, a complex thing to try and figure out, but to just to recognize that both do play a part Yeah. Um, it's mm-hmm. not so much about we mm-hmm. just need to build a new building or not meet in a building it's also about how are we changing ourselves as people, again back to really Following after Christ mm-hmm.
1: and yeah. having that what's coming through when we are evangelizing and not evangelizing, like how we are choosing to share the gospel, that that's what needs to come through. Yeah. Thank you, Clark. You can shut this down whenever you want. <laughs> <laughs> <I>, People's <laughs> hands keep going up, so uh, I'm sorry. I, don't I don't know, know when. I'll uh, let you. The Five minutes. Five minutes. So uh, did I see one over here too? <laughs> Maybe I'll go. Yes. You. you.
10: Yeah.
9: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, I was just asking, my question was kind of related, is that we know, like how much do we know about why people are leaving the church, like what's the research thing about that, because yeah. my fear is like, okay, we have statistics, people are, they've just they've disappeared, they've gone out the back right. door, but have we actually had conversations with those people of why they went out the yeah. back door, and I think, for example, with myself, I've gone out the back door mm-hmm. a number of times, fortunately God brought me to a different front door that was more in line with my needs, but very few times have people ever reached out Mm -hmm. to figure out why Mm -hmm. I left. Or I Mm -hmm. mean, it's not just me, it's like all those people you just mentioned. And I'm equally as guilty. Are we actually calling people when they leave to check in? Hey, how are you doing? Like what's going on? And at least, because I I feel like a lot of those people probably want to be reached. They probably want someone Mm -hmm. to ask how they're doing. And it's kind of like Trixie's saying, with the connection piece and the loneliness piece, people don't even know you're there or they don't, or if you're going through something that's hard and people aren't really being the church, then it doesn't really make you want to go to church,
2: Yeah. Um,
9: which I think brings up a whole nother slew of issues that we've kind of talked about here at LaGruy is just, you know, like there are a lot of different issues that are hard or that aren't mainstream in the church and so maybe one church is good with kids so then all the people, kids are, you know Exactly. but then what do you do with all the other issues of grieving and death and all the other stuff that people go to and then end up leaving because they feel unloved Mm
1: -hmm. yeah you know, as as you're talking, I'm just I was like, I have heard these before I think I even wrote down a list of why people leave (laughs) Um, (laughs) based on Joel Thiessen's research um Oh man, I do. I do know that exclu- exclusivity is at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you're too exclusive, yeah. uh-huh. and uh, and that's one of the big things that drives people away. It's like, oh, that's they said something I don't like, mm-hmm. or they draw drew a line where I wouldn't draw a line. Mm-hmm. So too exclusive is, is number was one of the top. Oh man, how do they think of it? There's all kind of, I went to this amazing one day conference and I was like, Oh, I'll take that. <laughs> this is it's called it's called the Nuns and the Duns. <laughs> um, is it Why uh, the Rise of Nuns? Uh, yeah, so these are the things that came out with why the Rise of nuns and then so, social acceptance. This is like culturally acceptable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like to be a nun, mm-hmm. right? It's actually mm-hmm. big it's like the most culturally acceptable. Yeah. Actually. So that kind of there's a little bit of a uh, Snowball effect on yeah, that, right? right? Like once culture starts moving in a certain direction, it's hard to stop yeah. it. Many years ago,
3: it was not; it was normal to be to, to be in a church. Yeah, but now it's normal
1: not, not to, be, in to be, a be church exactly. Yeah. And all my friends it's are. So why would I go? Yeah. Um, and then the other one. So this is the Christian right and fundamentalism, so particularly in the U.S. So this is very distasteful to us. We do not like mm-hmm. that. So apostasy. So just, I'm done. I'm done with Christianity or I'm done with whatever faith is um, Lower religious socialization. So mm. nuns are having children, raising them in irreligious religious families. Um, or families giving choice to their kids. That's like mm. whatever, Like whatever. We're going to introduce you to this, but you choose later in life. And that's how we want to do it. So Those are some I'm of the just, things. Yeah, I'm, just
9: asking. I'm just kind of probing and curious because I would imagine I can Canada, that might be even harder to get at than in the U.S. because, U.S. You know, culture is very vocal sometimes. Like, you know, we will let you know, <laughs> what, we know what we don't yeah. like. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in Canada, there's like a politeness, niceness thing. I think, you know, in general there should be more research, but maybe like in individual churches there could be a stronger ministry on the back door. Like, there seems oh, yeah. like there's a lot of space between... Being yep. in the church in the back door that could be explored.
1: And oh yeah, to I totally agree. It, it's so important, I think, to have some sort of like exit interview or it's like, hey, we haven't <laughs> seen you for <laughs> like a couple months. And I wanted to touch base. And I want to see what's going on. Yeah. And uh, I, to be honest, I do that. That's good. Most of the
9: time. Yeah. That's
1: good. Yeah. And. uh yeah. A lot of
9: churches I've been to. Unfortunately, yeah. but that's awesome. My church is small
1: enough. Really yeah. so Maybe have like a. Yeah. Four thousand member church, which almost yeah. no exists in Canada. Yeah. You know, there's not very many mega churches. Yeah. But But
8: uh, I go to a mega church with fourteen thousand
2: members. In the yeah. So if yeah. someone walks yeah. out the back door, you don't notice. It's like, oh, no interview,
1: right? But if yeah. someone leaves my church, I'm like, eh, I don't see your face anymore, like, and I, I can pretty much see everyone's face yeah. and remember. Yeah.
9: That's, that's that's good. I mean, I yeah. think we have it. Have that experience, and you know, unfortunately, sometimes but I do know because sometimes people just think that people leave and that they're not interested or whatever. In my case, I was actually like sick, right? In a hospital, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it like uh, you know, I think it's those kinds of experiences where somebody dies or somebody has a crisis and nobody reaches out that people end oh, yeah. up just like, whoa, okay, it's yeah. not really, it doesn't feel like the church anymore.
2: Yeah, good, good comments. Last question.
5: Yeah. um I uh, just uh, in uh, comment to what Jake was saying earlier in terms of no one uh, writing the, the, uh, being in charge in government as as our uh, generation moves more into postmodernity we're finding the uh, the institutions of modernity being further left behind in terms of political parties church mm-hmm. or those sort of and those are all um, um, I those were like universalizing um, um, institutions that uh, bound us together, um, yeah. and so as we move closer in postmodern we are seeing more and more with the fragile, fra- the fragilization. Fragilization, Yes, mm-hmm. things are far more delicate now. Yes, and certainly we're feeling that more and more in terms of our political discourse, yeah. our religious discourse. Everything mm-hmm. is very tenuous. Yeah,
1: and we're all getting lonelier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that is very. It, it sort of wonders what what will rise up well, in this place. Like,
5: and going back yeah. to what the word religion actually means, like mm-hmm. to uh, rele- uh, re- regalios, to bind together. yeah, uh, That which uh, was to uh, hold us together so that we would have spiritus, breath, life. Right. those things like yeah. all holds together.
2: Yeah. Cool stuff.
7: That's yes, mm-hmm. good. Uh, thank you. I mean, I think with the fragilization that we all feel it, but I, I think that you touched on something really important, the saying that we're all very sensitive about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I went, I know a guy who started a group for an open discussion between atheists and uh, Christians. Uh, And now it's just a pastor running an atheist group Mm -hmm. because the Christians don't want to be a part of it because they don't know, they don't understand the atheists. Mm -hmm. And the atheists were quite hard on them. There was a, you know, social plausibility that stood against the Christians. They had to, almost had to defend their faith. Um, in a winsome way, and they didn't know, and they also didn't understand the language in which the other people used. Mm -hmm. And so my point is this fragilization, we're all very sensitive, but we're not using the same language. Mm -hmm. But I think that this lecture is a good call for us to say, look, you know, this Christian affiliation is a small minority, at least actively, Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a lot of people on the way out, it seems, maybe on the way in, let's hope.
1: It's stable. uh, It seems to have stabilized since the mid-2000s. A
7: bit stabilized, Uh, but I think the church needs to look, (laughs) as you've been doing, I think that not only what you've been talking about, calling us to, but also what you've been embodying is let's look at the culture around us and start learning the language around us, Mm -hmm. start reading books that we might disagree with, Mm -hmm. for heaven's sake, Mm -hmm. Uh, might read news articles that aren't typically on our news feed, so that we might understand the other. So that if we want to, to communicate the gospel to all people, mm-hmm. let's do so in a way that they might understand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, I just want to say thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> <Good fun. laughs>